0: Uh, So anyway, as I say, today we're going to continue in this series, Issues with God. And as we uh, started this, I guess, four weeks ago, we began talking about self-esteem and how we see ourselves and how God sees us. For two weeks, we talked about sexuality and how that is such a powerful motivator in what we do and how we see ourselves and what God's purpose is for sexuality. Today, we're going to be talking about heaven, Uh, heaven and God's future, God's vision for us in the future. When I was a little kid, uh, probably nine years old, I went to Disneyland for the first time. We went again probably three years later. Going to Disneyland in those days, for us anyway, was a big deal. It was a huge drive, and uh, my dad you know, never stayed the night anywhere, so we always had to drive right back. Well, we got as much Disneyland as we could those two times, and I just remember what an influence that had on me. I was completely sucked into the detail and the richness of those worlds that Disney had created around Disneyland. Uh, I was just, just drawn into it to a really high degree, so much so that whenever we left Disneyland, those two times when I was a kid, I uh, suffered, I was afflicted with what I began to think of as a Disneyland syndrome, meaning this, that after being at Disneyland, nothing else measured up, nothing else measured up. Nothing in my life was as good as that idealized life at Disneyland. Nothing smelled so sweet, and you know this if you've been there, nothing smelled so sweet as popcorn and freshly made candy on Main Street, right? Come on. Nothing for me when I was a little boy was as thrilling or as awesome as the rocket to the moon, which shows how old I am. They had the rocket to the moon as the big, uh, big adventure. Uh, nothing was as thrilling as the Matterhorn, and nothing was as scary as descending into hell in Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. You remember that? So all of these things had an influence on me, and I bet they did on you too. They influenced that ideal place, that ideal Disneyland, so manicured, so perfectly put together, so well-constructed, it had an influence on the way I looked at life and the way that I would play with my brothers, actually. Uh, When we built a raft to take out on the pond and on the ranch there where I grew up, it was a recreation. We wanted it to be a recreation. Not of, you know, Tom Sawyer the book, but of Tom Sawyer Island at Disneyland when we built a tree house. We put a trapdoor in it, we had a railing on it, we put a little cheap telescope on it in imitation of, in recreation of the ideal tree house, the Swiss family Robinson treehouse. You get the idea. So much of what we did was to recreate that ideal place. That Disneyland, that paradise for children. And it really was like a paradise. Now, paradise is an important word, and it's a very particular kind of thing. Paradise, we might think of some of us as. Maybe an unspoiled island in the South Pacific where you can kind of just kick back and there's fruit you can grab and you never have to really do anything. And that's, that's, that's a good idea. That's a good kind of paradise. But the word actually comes from a Persian word, paradisa, which actually means a walled in garden a manicured and curated and perfectly constructed garden that might be attached to a palace. It's the kind of place where nature is is shaped by human hands. It's that kind of paradise, paradise, that actually is like Disneyland, but it's also... If you listen to Jesus, a little bit like heaven, you'll remember when Jesus was on the cross, and he was minutes, maybe hours from his death, but on either side of him were two criminals who were being crucified as well. And one of those criminals was shouting insults at Jesus and was was degrading him, deriding him because Jesus wouldn't get them down from that cross But the man on the other side of him, the criminal on the other side, saw something different in Jesus, had a different reaction to Jesus. He believed that Jesus could save him beyond that moment, beyond that that terrible moment of his death. He says to Jesus in that moment, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He believes for some reason or another He believes that Jesus has a kingdom, a place that this man can go when his trial on earth is over. And Jesus says to him, truly I tell you, really I tell you, without a doubt I tell you, today, he says, today you will be with me in paradise, in paradise perfectly constructed, perfectly made place of rest and bliss. Heaven. Now, as I say, we're going to be looking at heaven for the next three weeks. going to be looking at heaven, what it is, and what it might be like, and how we can get there. And we're going to be looking at it the same way we've looked at these other issues, with God as our resident expert, looking at what Scripture has to say and looking at what our Christian tradition has to say. But in thinking about heaven, I think we also really have to engage our imaginations. We really have to look at what is here, but also what is here in our hearts. C.S. Lewis once said that while reason is the natural organ of truth, imagination is the organ of meaning. And we need both to really be able to get our arms around and then get excited about heaven. And it's really important to get excited about heaven. Because here's the thing. Satan wants always, right, to separate us from God. And one way that Satan tries to separate us from God is by discouraging our thinking about who he is and where he is, his place. Satan tries to keep our, our minds focused on only what is here and what's before us, our problems, our trials. Tries to keep our minds focused on the naturalistic and these days, especially the scientific. He tries actively to discourage us from imagining what heaven might be like. But Listen, we are actually commanded. We're actually encouraged by God to think about heaven. In Colossians, it says, set your heart on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not on earthly things. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says that we should be a people, we Christians should be a people who are longing for a better country. And that doesn't mean, you know, Texas or Tennessee where everybody seems to be going. He means heaven. We should be longing for and anticipating heaven. But so often, we have a picture of heaven in our minds that may not be all that appealing. John Eldridge said in one of his books, he says, nearly every Christian I've spoken to has some idea that eternity is a never-ending church service. A never ending sing along in the sky, one great hymn after another, forever and ever. Amen. And as much as we like church, that may not be the most appealing idea of eternity. And the good news is, it's not even scriptural. It's much more than that, it's much richer than that, it's much more detailed than that, it's much more personal than that. So what is it? What is heaven? Well, to begin a discussion of heaven, we have to understand that when we talk about heaven, we're really talking about two things, two heavens. There's a heaven that exists right now, but there's another heaven that will exist in the future. And it's that heaven that we see talked about in Revelation in chapter 21, Revelation is this book that was written by the Apostle John, and it's a vision that he was given, a vision of the future, but this vision also of heaven. And he says, I saw a new heaven, and I want you to remember that phrase, new heaven and a new earth. And in this new heaven and new earth, God dwelt with human beings, God dwelt with men and lived among them. So to get an idea of what that's like, this place, this new heaven, this new earth where God is dwelling with with men, we need to look back to the beginning once again, as we usually do in these discussions, everything seems to draw us back to the beginning Because this is the last time that we know of, besides the 33 years that Jesus was walking on the earth, besides those 33 years in the first century, this, in the very beginning, is the last time we know of God dwelling among human beings. And you'll remember, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and then the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This God, who is all spirit, through his word, through his imagination, through his, his will, he made all the material stuff of the universe and of the earth, and he made light, and he made darkness, and he made day, and he made night, and he made the waters, and he made the land, and he made plants and trees, and the sun, and the moon, and the stars, and then he made animals, and then again, as we said two weeks ago, he made people. He made man in his own image, and in his image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and then he created them and place them in a place. said, now the Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man and the woman that he had formed. And remember, they were given in the image of God the ability, in the image of God, to have dominion over, over this place, over that garden, to cultivate it, to manicure it, to care for it, to idealize it, to make it as beautiful as it could be. It's a place for human beings to flourish and do everything that they are they're made to do in God's image. And God in that place, in that that Eden, in that paradise, paradisa. In that place, God walked among them. God walked with them, we hear later, in the cool of the day. Of course, that paradise was lost, right, by human beings when they rebelled against God, when they decided that they would like to take a try at being gods unto themselves. They rebel against God, they sin, and death and destruction, and decay, and all of those things come into the earth. And at that time, the people that God had made are unable to go into that garden again. That garden, that perfect paradise is made inaccessible to them after the fall. Now, from a spiritual point of view, that means that people, and we all know this, Uh, They're unable at that point to have that perfect relationship with nature, to be at one with nature and at one with God. They're just unable to do that, and they're always fighting this nature. They're not able to have that relationship with God anymore. On a physical level, many believe that at that time, that perfect paradise was actually taken out of this earth and removed to another dimension, just beyond the veil that we call heaven. But whatever the case, when people were unable to access that paradise anymore, when that paradise was removed, what was left was our memory of it. What was left is this generational, hereditary memory Of what it was like to be in that paradise and in that perfect relationship with nature and with God. And so much of what we do today, friends, so much of what we struggle to do is to recreate and to have little pieces of that paradise once again with us right now. The same way that me and my brothers used to try to recreate Disneyland, we're trying to recreate over and over again that paradise that God made for us in which we dwelt with him long, long, long ago. You see it in almost everything we do. I think every time we clean our apartments, you know, we're trying to reverse the curse of decay and disorder, the way that things just seem to fall apart unless we stay on top of it. We're always trying to put things back in that order. Every time we take a vase of flowers and put it up on our mantle, we're trying to recreate, to cultivate that paradise, a little piece of that paradise in our world. Every time we design that dream home, every time we remodel the backyard, every time we just go out there and cut the branches and clear the lawn and rake up the leaves, we're trying to recreate, recultivate, reestablish that connection with paradise, with that heaven. And of course, God in His common grace has left indications of that paradise everywhere. When we look around at the nature that he's made and all of the beauty, all of that, it's a reminder of what God once made and in which God once dwelt with us. But also it points to a promise of what God will do again in this new heaven, and this new earth. But this new heaven, this new earth, it has a time stamp on it. It's conditional. In Revelation, when John is talking about his vision, he says this, I saw this new heaven and this new earth for, because, Because the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Fact is, this new heaven, this new heaven that is actually a new earth, cannot come, cannot be realized until this first earth and the first heaven, the heaven that exists right now, passes away. In the meantime, it is that heaven that all of us here will enter when we are through on this earth, unless Christ comes first. It's that heaven, that present heaven, that heaven now, from which Moses and Elijah came and met with Jesus and Peter and James. And John up on the Mount of Transfiguration, remember? Those guys had to be somewhere. That's where they are and that's where they were. Just beyond the veil in that first heaven right now. It's that heaven to which Jesus bodily ascended 40 days after he was raised from the dead. Remember, as everybody watched, he went up, he went somewhere. That's where he is. It's in that first heaven. Heaven, it's that first heaven that Stephen, do you remember Stephen, the first martyr, when he was being stoned to death on the streets of Jerusalem, he said, I see heaven parting, and I see the Son of Man at the right hand of God. That veil had parted, that's the heaven that he sees. It's that heaven that that man who died next to Jesus on the cross, it's that heaven that he found himself that very day, and it's that first heaven where your grandmother and your grandfather and your father and your mother and all the people that you know and that you love who have died in Christ, that's where they are, waiting for you. Waiting for you. But not just waiting for you. Also waiting with anticipation. For the day when this first earth passes away and that first heaven passes away and then that new heaven, which is a new earth, comes into being and God dwells again among His people. It's that heaven. It's that new earth that we're going to talk about next week. But this week, let's just remember, set your eyes on heaven. Get excited about heaven. And know this, when God created heavens and the earth and all that he made including you and me and all people made in his image he saw all that and he declared it good God is not and God will not give up on what he has said is good God will not destroy this earth no God Means to renew this earth, redeem this earth, remake this earth in heaven to his glory and to the delight of all those who believe in him. Let's get excited about heaven. Amen.